Welcome to Tea Fascination with Andy and Nick. In this week's episode, we discuss the origins of tea leaf reading, and Andy has an interview with Ray Hepburn, a tea leaf reading expert from the UK. When it comes to the world of tea, there is absolutely no limit to the amount of like mystical and, and magical uh, facets and aspects in regards to where the tea comes from, how it's made, and the properties that it may or may not have. But one of the things that comes up whenever you think about tea is tea leaf reading. Okay, And obviously I'm here with Andy again. And, and we're going to get to the bottom of this because I honestly can tell you I know nothing about tea leaf reading whatsoever, except that it'd probably be a fun thing to do when I'm in New Orleans. Like That's you know, right, if you're going to the bottom gonna, of the cup, absolutely. If I'm going to get my palm read, mm-hmm. I might as well have a cup of tea and get that covered as well. That's so, right. so tell me a little bit more about it, Andy. So there's a debate. It's interesting. Like you'll go to some places on the internet and they'll say, oh, it you know started during the Victorian era. And then other people say, you know, tea leaf reading is as old as tea is itself. And that, you know, it was practiced by the emperor Shen Nu around 2000 BC who discovered tea. So it's like, it's hard to know um, really where it began. I do know that, you know, the word tazography, which is what technically tea leaf reading is called, it's a, the meaning of the word um, is taze for meaning cup in French and, you know, graph meaning writing, writing from Greek. So it's literally like the tea cup is writing. So it makes sense that that's what it's called. And, um, you know, there was a book, the first book that was written about it was by this woman only known as the Highland Seer in 1881. So that was like the first book, I believe, that they, you know, think that they know about it. So a lot of people will draw like the origin from tea leaf reading there. But it's a pretty old art. Um, So... And it also requires some skill level, meaning that when you look in the tea leaf, it's all read via symbols. And symbols and reading symbols and looking at things to find symbols is ancient. And I think that's where it kind of, the confusion starts. Like, is it an ancient art or is it something new that was done for entertainment in the Victorian parlors Mm. when they had tea? So it's like, you know, somebody will look in the teacup and you might think that it's a blob and they'll say, oh, it's a fish and or it's a flower. And so mm. I think that it's hard to know really, is it real? Is it not? Is it true? And a lot of it is because it's all based on these symbols that people see in the teacup. And there's not a lot of ways to standardize that, although we'll talk to somebody later who has kind of come up with a way to standardize that, which okay. is really cool. But if you think about like divination and reading tea leaves, like even in the book of Ezekiel, which was I think estimated to be written around 590 to 571 BC, they mentioned something called heruspice. And that's the reading of animals' livers, primarily of sacrificed sheep. They would sacrifice the sheep and then take the liver out and then like read the liver, which is crazy. I mean, but this has been, like I said, reading stuff, reading livers, reading tea leaves. This is not new. I mean, I mean, this was like, what did I say? 590 something BC. So yeah, 
And in the book of Ezekiel, it literally says, For the king of Babylon standeth at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways to use divination. We have divination. He shaketh the arrows to and fro. He inquireth from the teraphim. He looketh in the liver. So literally, <laughs> they would like take these sheep's livers and like divine the future from it. And Wikipedia has like an interesting thing. And again, we're talking about Babylonian days. They said one Babylonian clay model of a sheep's liver, it was dated between 1900 and 1600 BC. So that's even older than the quote above. And it's, conser it's, in, the, it's in the British Museum and it was used for divination, which was important, they say, to them to Mesopotamian medicine. And the practice was conducted by priests and seers who looked for signs in the stars or in the organs of sacrificed sheep to tell them things about a patient's illness. And then wooden pegs were placed in the holes of the clay tablet to record features found in the sacrificed animal's liver. The seer then used these features to predict the course of a patient's illness. So, I mean, yeah, that's pretty... You have to know what you're doing if you're looking at a liver and predicting the outcome of somebody's life that, based that, on a liver. That doesn't sound like something you'd want to leave up to like the, you know, subjective, you know, no. like uh, uh, whims of an individual. So, yeah, like standardization would be massively important. It would be important. massive. And yeah. yeah, you don't want to have like a little stamp for entertainment purposes only on that liver <laughs> if you're reading it. Especially for if health. you're looking at it for like health yeah, right. health care decisions right. and everything That's else. Right. I am so glad that modern medicine has evolved to the point <laughs> yeah. where we're not looking at sheep livers to um to figure out what the course of action is to take next. That's um, right. And, and yeah, like I'm glad it graduated to tea because that's right. like that's, that's a, a that, that's a lot messier and a lot kinder to the sheep. I and the other so. wildlife, yeah. I think so. Yeah, definitely. So I think that in my mind, I understand why somebody would basically think or look at, you know, the course of history and feel like tea leaf reading was something ancient. Uh -huh. If they're reading livers, right, then they're, of course they're going to be reading other things as well. Mm. I believe that they read like flight patterns of birds and lots of other things to predict everything. So, um, you know, there's that kind of history of tea leaf reading. And then the other history of tea leaf reading, which I find to be really interesting, is when the, they would have parlors or salons and there would be you know, parties and Victorian women would right. use it, again, for entertainment purposes more or less, right? right? And um, you know, the Roma woman would knock on the door, they would let her in, she'd come and do a tea leaf reading for people and you know, it was her livelihood. And, um, there also, though, became, even at this time, women who read tea leaves who were in Scotland called mm. the Spay Wives. Okay. And they would read them, and they would kind of look down and poo-poo the Roma women because they were doing it, again, for entertainment, and these other women were doing it for more what they felt as though was either helping the woman know if her soldier overseas was alive or not. I mean, they oh. would take it a little more seriously and look at it that way. So there's always been this discrepancy, I think, with tea leaf reading, you know, really what's it being used for, what's the validity, and, you know, that has always been, I guess, a dividing force within, and that might be any kind of divination. If you talk to some people, they may think it's, you know, malarkey, and other people might really put a lot of, 
stock. stock. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, again, it's not a new thing. But if you think about, you know, the tazography became popular in Europe during the 17th century after tea found its way to England through the um, trade routes with China. And the first Europeans to embrace the practice were the traveling Roma people. And then they were the ones that would go door to door offering their services for a fee. And um, they said, where I got this, they said on occasion, mm -hmm. but I believe it was quite popular that they would come to do Dinner parties and things That's like right. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think in my mind, this is during the time where Carl Jung began to practice mm, sure. and Freud even earlier. So symbols and dream symbols and all of these symbols. Attaching meaning and purpose to right. symbols and things like that. Sure, sure, absolutely. So it's hard for me to think like, is it, you know, when did it begin? I don't really know, but during the Victorian era, it sounds like, you know, it makes sense that, you know, the whole symbols and attaching sure. symbols was, you know, really popular then. So um, there's, there's that. And I had mentioned this book by the Highland Seer in 1881 that's kind of, I guess, looked to as the first book on tea leaf reading. And she did not take kindly to the Romas practicing. And um, she felt as though um, basically those that were taking money for it were doing it a disservice. She said in her book, I'm going to read it, it's interesting, she says, it is unfortunately the case, as records of the police courts have recently shown, that the creation of this demand for foreknowledge of coming events or for information as to the well-being of distant relatives and friends has resulted in the abundant supply of the want by scores of pretend fortune tellers and div diviners of the future who, trading upon the credulity and anxieties of their unfortunate fellow countrywomen, seek to make a living at their expense. Mm. So she was definitely a critic. Definitely a critic. And she goes on to further say in her book that if you take money for tea leaf reading, the minute money exchanges hands, everything <laughs> goes to pot. Like, it basically, it ruins everything. Oh. And so she felt as though that's really the way you could, you know, you could differentiate between a real reader and a charlatan. So any monetary transaction that took place basically nullified the reading that had been done. That's what she said. It's almost oh. as if the tea leaves would know and kind of recoil at the idea of money being traded. Sure, sure. And, you know, that's kind of that was her take on it you know I find it interesting because she is the first one who wrote a book to allow and teach people how to read but sure. at the same time she was very specific and really drilled in on the fact that you know it is all in the interpreter and how the reading's gonna go okay and um, so it's interesting I think that they said another reason why tea leaf reading kind of dwindled is because in the early 1900s, um, I think it was like 1903 or 1905, the tea um, bag became super popular. Sure. So once that happens, you know, tea leaf reading also kind of went out the window. I do think, though, that it's starting a little bit of a resurgence with sure. artisan tea. And just in general, I think that, you know, a lot of the 
kind of those uh, whatever divination arts are kind of coming back. But um, there are places, like I had mentioned, the bottom of the cup tea room in New Orleans that have become famous for their tea gotcha. leaf readings. Gotcha. And even on now on Etsy, you can go online and get like a virtual tea leaf reading. I mean, it's like it is kind of making a little bit of a comeback here. Sure, sure. I mean, listen, things come and go in and out of style. And it's amazing to me that like the advent of the tea bag. Yeah would be the one thing that kind of saw the decline of tea reading kind of as uh, an art form yeah. or, or, or just kind of a, a practice that occurred in social circles or, yeah. or, or, or whatnot. So that's, that's really amazing. And you can even get your digital tea leaf reading done online. That's, uh, yeah. And, and listen, it, it's true. You can literally find anything if you look hard enough for that's it. That's right. And I did a digital tea leaf reading. And so I guess we'll hear that later on. Very but, cool. Very cool. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've never had a tea leaf reading before. I have to be perfectly honest. Okay. So it was my first. So I have no way to judge okay. whether it was a good one or a bad one, right? Awesome. But I find it, you know, interesting she showed me the cup and the symbols and I, she was like this is a fish and this is a flower and in my mind I'm like okay I mean I particularly maybe don't get that but okay. I think that it's just in my mind it was just kind of like a canvas for her to maybe type in uh, tap into her psychic senses if that makes sense and that's kind of the thing that I like throughout our conversation I've just been sitting here thinking you know like an individual like it's all what they see right that's right in the in in the tea leaves and the way they're um they're resting in the bottom of the cup right yeah um so so there's like there's a form of interpretation but there also seems to be like some sort of inspiration or or um I don't know, like paranormal, like, you know, kind of a thing attached to it as well. Yeah, I think so. The woman that we're going to hear from who created and tried, has begun to kind of standardize the tea leaf reading, her name is Rahab Byrne, and she herself stated in her book, she said, in traditional tea leaf reading, which is what I had done, the seer is all important, which I agree with. A truly gifted seer will instinctively know which symbols connect, which symbols are dominant, and which symbols are secondary. Mm. The kind of accomplished, this kind of accomplished seer can give a reading so insightful that it astonishes the queerest. Interesting. So I think I find that interesting too. Like it is, I mean, like almost a hundred percent up to interpretation yeah that's right so you have to know is the person good or bad who you're getting the reading from and that's going to make the difference mm. more than anything else in the reading sure that individual needs to have a background and an understanding because like you know i'm just you know looking at the quote from her you know which symbols are dominant yeah and which symbols are secondary yeah. and, and 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 understanding how that all ties together i mean it truly is an art form yeah a hundred percent agree it's an art form because sure. not only that i find it interesting and if you look at any of these books where they kind of show you the symbols again they'll say this is what a boot looks like and i'll look at it and i'm like gosh it really it kind of looks like a boot but then sure. i mean like it's hard to know and i think you have your eye has to be trained as well mm. to be able to see these symbols and know what they are um and i just find it interesting the woman ray hepburn she learned tea leaf reading from her aunt as a child in england mm. and she would watch her aunt do tea leaf readings and then she just became enthralled herself 
She said that she taught me what the symbols meant and how they should be read. I found tea leaf reading to be very accurate and worked hard to sharpen my skills. But she worked years to sharpen her skills. So, you know, I think that was one of the reasons that she felt as though she had to create these cards. And what she created were these tea leaf reading cards. I don't want to say they're like tarot cards, but that's the only way for me to explain them. Okay. They're like these, but she made them round, like a teacup. So the cards are round. And each card has a symbol. It has a picture on it, but it also has a symbol of the tea leaf image itself. Like the, you know, um, so if it's a fish, it'll be like, this is what a fish looks in tea, like in tea leaves. And, you know, she has that, but they're meant to work like tarot cards in the sense that you pick the cards so there's no guessing like you know if you're getting a fish or not right because you pick the fish card okay you don't have to look at the teacup and say is that a fish or is that a boot you know oh okay so sure. she kind of does that in a way so she kind of i guess elevated the tea leaf reading to that standard so there would be no guessing she took the guesswork out of it wow and she created these cards and, um, you know, she said that I asked her, and she goes on why she created the cards, but she said that, you know, it was hard to find when she was trying to teach people or people would ask her to teach them, there really wasn't a standardized way to be able to teach them. Yeah, there's hardly a curriculum. That's right. That's for, right. For reading tea leaves. That's right. So I guess that's what she kind of did with these cards. And um, it's just super interesting because, you know, as you can see, I think there's thousands of symbols on their own. I mean, to be able to memorize and know all those thousands of symbols, again, that's a huge time commitment. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's something that you would need to do regularly. Yeah, because I think that so. seems like the kind of information that would have a shelf life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it would be a practice that you would need to do regularly so that, you know, it, all those different symbols stayed fresh in your mind. Yeah. So that that would that to me that would be like a great responsibility for yeah. for the person who's who, who conducts the reading. And I asked her, and she said that like a lot of the same symbols show up repeatedly. But again, you know, you can always get you're always going to get you could get that little one off random, you know, bunny. It's like nobody gets a bunny, you know, or okay. whatever, you okay. know. And I mean, I I don't know. So, but she said that the same symbols do come up. So when she was creating the cards, she really used, you know, the basic symbols that seemed to come up over and over and over again. And that's kind of what made it easier to do versus, you know, starting it with all the symbols, I mean, that would just be incredibly too daunting. Now, let's jump right into Andy's interview with tea leaf reading expert, Ray Hepburn. I got interested in tea leaf reading actually from my family. Um, I had an Aunt Lily uh, who was lovely, and uh, she was a very, very good at reading tea leaves. And uh, we would go over there, you know, on the weekend, and she would read uh, everyone's cards. And I was enthralled by the way that she could, uh, you know, look at these leaves, these things, and uh, make a story out of it, which was usually very, very accurate. And um, I made up my mind, you know, I got very interested in it, and and Lily showed me, um, you know, how to read the symbols, what they meant, and how to put them together. And uh, I loved doing it. I was just hooked. 
And um, I continued uh, tea leaf reading, you know, through my uh, through the years. And then when I came to America, I mean, I was always reading and reading for my friends. But when I came to America, I was reading for a group of uh, friends, and they were oh, they wanted to read for themselves so much, but they were just daunted by the fact of having uh, to look at the symbols, so many symbols, and see what they meant, and um, how to fit it all together. Uh, And these were busy career women, and they just, they wanted to do it, but they couldn't do it. Uh, They just didn't have the time. So I thought, well, how can I help these people? I mean, I I know they love tea leaf reading and everything. And that was when I decided to come up with the cards, uh, to create the cards, uh, the tea leaf fortune cards. And um, basically what I did in tea leaf reading, people ask the questions they ask, the first question, <laughs> the big question, is about love, and then career, and then marriage, success, wealth, and happiness. Those are like the six main um, subjects that people want to know about. So I took the six main subjects, and uh, then there are roughly... Uh, the most used symbols, there are roughly about 600 of them. The, there mm-hmm. are actually many, many more than that. The, um, I have uh, symbols that have over about 3,000 meanings for symbols. But the, um, I took the 600 most popular. I mean, nobody knows what a button hook uh, a button hook is. And that for, um, was used like in the 19th century, um, for the 18th and 19th century. And it's where you used it to button up your shoes because you couldn't bend over because you had corsets on. So you would use this long hook to button up your shoes. And the meaning for it was, um, you know, help when you need it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it certainly was uh, meant what it is. The um, and I took these symbols and went through them, uh, and we, you know, took out any that crossed over. Took out the ones that really came out the most. You know, that always were um, repeating themselves uh, in people's cups and. Uh, and so I whittled it down to like 182 uh, symbols and made them cards and uh, into cards. And uh, then I divided and added another 12 symbols for the months of the year. And then I added another six symbols for the um, career, uh, you know, for the... Um, most popular categories, so that if people wanted uh, a category, then they could just 
take that category and then read what their fortune for that category, say love, <laughs> which everyone wants to re- hear about, uh, what it was. Sorry, do you find that like the certain symbols repeat over in America and different symbols repeat? Where, and where are you from originally? England, the north of England. England. No, I... Yes. Did you find that certain symbols are um, appear more in England? Is it, or is it just the same symbols appear no matter, kept on appearing no matter really region or age of the you know person you're reading for? Um, it's well, if. Are we talking about the cards now, or are we talking about... Well, we're just talking re- about, like, when you were picking out, like, when you were looking and deciding what symbols are the most popular symbols. Were the symbols, I guess my question is, were they across the board popular, or did you find, you know, people in their 40s had symbols that were more prevalent to them versus young people in their 20s? Or was it just these symbols across the board for anybody, regardless of region or nationality or whatever, always seemed to come up? I, you answered the question by what you said. The, okay, the same, yeah. the same things are important to seem to be very important to everyone across mm-hmm. the board. You know, wherever they live, the yeah. everyone seems to be interested in love. You know, happiness, career, money, uh, wealth. You know, they. Um, it's how people are. Uh, yeah. You know. It's not politics, it's how they are, and that's, uh, and that's what made me decide. The, interestingly enough, the um, Tilly fortune cards were recently licensed. I mean, they're, they're sold around the world, but they're sold in English. They were recently licensed to um, a Taiwan publisher, uh, Big Forest, and they're being translated into Chinese. That's so, really cool. Yeah, it is. Because all the drawings have a Chinese influence to them. And uh, the color of the cards, the figures on them, they're all uh, Chinese-oriented. And, um, yeah, I was really happy about that. <laughs> how did you? And how did you pick the symbol... So the symbol on the card, I'm assuming, is in relation to what that T symbol means, right? So how did you, though, then connect it or find an artist that was able to translate that for you? Um, I actually, uh, one of my uh, daughter's friends had um, an art degree uh, from Otis, and, and she was an excellent artist. And um, she was the one who did all the drawings. I would describe what I wanted, and uh, she would do the drawings according to that. But also she brought in her own uh, ability and um, perception into the cards as well. And I think she did a beautiful job. They are very beautiful. Have you ever compared like a reading with the cards to an actual tea leaf reading for somebody and then been able to see 
if they were, if the outcome of the readings were the same? Oh, yes. Yeah. Many times. The, um, it's, the people will tell you straight away, you know. The, it's interesting that if you give a reading, everybody wants to hear about love. If you give a reading and it's not what they want to hear, you know, it's uh, say they're going through a bad period and you tell them to watch their money and uh, different things like that, the, they say, oh, it was a dreadful reading. I mean, uh, there's no way that uh, that's the, the way things are happening. And uh, because I didn't, uh, because it wasn't about love and roses and money coming from the skies. The, um, but usually the readings are very basic about basic needs and um, how life unfolds. Falls, you know, you have up and down, up and down. Uh, and that is, strangely enough, is how the reading uh, will come out. Barone teas are artisan teas, made and mixed in small batches. Their proprietary formulas are designed for holistic wellness without sacrificing taste, so you can get all the benefits of the herbs and full-leaf tea leaves along with amazing flavors. Flavors like Southern Pecan, Peach Berry, Magnolia, and Peach Blossoms bring Southern scents home to your mug. Their organic blends are packaged in biodegradable pyramid tea bags, so you know you are getting the finest herbs and teas out there without any extra chemicals. Their herbal formulas are designed to aid you on many different levels, from top to bottom and from inside to outside. Their black and green teas are made from whole leaf teas, never powdered, and that allows for more antioxidants and goodness in each cup. They believe the act of sipping a beautiful cup of tea can be just as healing as the tea itself. So go visit Barone Teas and try them out for yourself. Start your mornings with a cup of Barone Tea and help make your day a bit more magical. Tea Fascination's theme music is No Clouds, performed by Ketza. Tea Fascination is recorded, mixed, and edited by Duncross Media. For all your digital marketing needs, go to www.duncrossmedia.com. With nearly a decade's experience in digital marketing, Duncross Media is an effective and affordable option for all your digital marketing needs.